Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau facing heat for what some call divisive rhetoric surrounding the trucker protests. We hear what one Canadian lawmaker has to say. Analysts are examining the current situation among Russia, Ukraine and NATO. This comes after Russia announces that they are withdrawing some troops near Ukraine. A group of states is considering a range of bills to tighten voter ID requirements. Missouri and Virginia account for over half of the bills. And in New Mexico, dozens of Army National Guard and Air Force troops are going back to school, but this time they're stepping up as teachers. They're pitching in to help school keep in-person learning active as they battle staff shortages. An eyewitness video filmed in Marinka Donetsk today captured local streets and buildings as the sound of alleged shelling is heard. A witness told Reuters that artillery shelling was heard near Donetsk Airport and Elenovka. That's a village in Donetsk province. Both are part of eastern Ukraine, controlled by Russian-backed rebels. Russian-backed rebels and Ukrainian forces traded accusations today that each had fired across the ceasefire line in eastern Ukraine. It's raising alarm at a time when Western countries have warned of the possibility of a Russian invasion any day. The details of the incidents could not be independently confirmed, and the initial reports suggested they were on a similar scale to ceasefire violations that have been common throughout the eight-year conflict. For verification, the source gave a date and time the video was filmed. This matched original file metadata. Configuration of the path, trees, and buildings seen in the video also matched satellite photography. President Biden expects Russia will invade Ukraine this week. This morning, the president told reporters Moscow may start a false flag operation that could ignite military action. This, despite the Kremlin's claims that its forces are withdrawing. Every indication we have is they're prepared to go into Ukraine attack Biden said Russia has not moved back its forces from the Ukrainian border and the United States has reason to believe Russia is engaged in a false flag operation, one that Moscow could use to justify an invasion. But Biden said a diplomatic solution remains possible, which is why he had asked Secretary of State Antony Blinken to go to the United Nations to make a statement on Thursday. Biden said there is no plan for him to speak with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Russia didn't invade Ukraine on Wednesday, as some had feared, but the U.S. and its allies say that the threat remains strong. Some analysts examine the situation and offer their thoughts on what Russia may be planning to do. Here are the details. The Biden administration and NATO claim that Russia is still building up troops around Ukraine, despite Moscow saying that they are pulling back. Dr. Andrea Kendall-Taylor from the Center for a New American Security warned Wednesday that the risk of military conflict is still very much in play. Here's what she has to say about Russian President Vladimir Putin. He wants to rewrite the rules of the European security order and reinstate spheres of influence. I also think Putin may be thinking about his legacy, and I think he likely sees himself as the last Russian leader who's willing to take such significant risk to reassert Russia's preeminence in what Putin insists is his privileged sphere and in world affairs. Russia's defense ministry says their forces were pulling back after exercising in southern and western military districts near Ukraine. 
But Ukraine's defense ministers say intelligence reports show no sign the Russians pulling back. There are no real signs of de-escalation from the Kremlin, despite recent vague comments from Moscow about minor troop withdrawals. We will know more in the next few days. In a way, it feels like we are watching a slow-motion train wreck happening before our eyes. And unless we can get the initiative, President Putin is driving that train. Richard Grinnell, who served as acting director of national intelligence, suggests that NATO has a weakness when it comes to Russia. The Germans have undermined us when it comes to Nord Stream 2. And to have all of official Washington racing towards military options, ignoring the diplomatic tool that will cripple Putin, I think is shameful. Putin has signaled he wants a peaceful path out of the crisis, and President Biden promises that the U.S. will continue to give diplomacy every chance. His administration continues to say that Russia could invade Ukraine at any time. As tensions mount on Russia's border with Ukraine, Vice President Kamala Harris is preparing to meet with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky this weekend. Their meeting is set to take place during the Munich Security Conference in Germany. It comes as the U.S. has partnered with key allies in an attempt to deter Russia from invading. On Friday, Harris is set to meet with the NATO Secretary and have a multilateral meeting with the leaders of Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. On Saturday, she is scheduled to deliver a keynote speech that will likely focus on the threat of Russian aggression. New analysis warns that an invasion of Ukraine by Russia could drive up the already high cost of living in the U.S. Economists say a potential conflict could rattle global energy markets and create a ripple effect that could impact millions of American households. Here's how a full-blown conflict could have a major economic consequence for our wallets. A potential war in Europe could make the already high cost of living in the U.S. even higher for millions of American families. Unfortunately, if Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine, it's the American household that's going to partially bear the burden of adjustment. Chief economist Joe Brusuelas from the consulting firm RSM says a Russian invasion could raise the cost of nearly everything having to do with energy. Russia is the world's second largest producer of oil, and supply is already failing to keep up with demand. That's partly why we've seen oil prices move up, and prices at the pump are soaring, hitting $3.51 a gallon nationally Wednesday, a seven-year high. An invasion or sanctions that cut off supply could send prices even higher. President Joe Biden has acknowledged the consequences. I will not pretend this will be painless. The big question is how high can crude oil rise? RSM estimates if crude oil prices rise north of $110 a barrel, year-over-year inflation in the U.S. could top 10 percent, which would be the highest since 1981. And energy prices are a huge factor in this red-hot inflation hitting your budget. How does this really impact me? It's in the cost of everyday living. Basically, the things we don't think about, like heating our home, like turning on the television, turning on your computer. Higher oil and natural gas prices could also mean higher costs for airfare and transportation. Most Western countries have advised their nationals to leave Ukraine immediately due to a threat of a Russian invasion. But for some, like British businessman Daniel Williams, the ties run deep and they face tough decisions. Obviously, the advice is to leave Ukraine, but that's not practical for people like me. And British father Daniel Williams is facing an impossible choice. 
Should his family stay or should they go? The British businessman has been living in Kiev for two years and just recently had a baby with his Ukrainian wife. But with the threat of a Russian invasion, he's now preparing to move his family out of Ukraine's capital. We weren't going to do anything. Uh, my Tanya is as tough a Ukrainian lady as you'll find, and she is of the mindset, this is her country, this is her city. But when you have a child, when you have a young baby, you can't just pack up at a moment's notice. You can't hitchhike, scrap and fight your way out of a, of a city. So we decided on Friday night after the US and the UK advice came out to leave Kiev, we decided that at least we needed to get to a safer area within Ukraine, uh, at the very minimum. Uh, whether it meant leaving the country or not, we will decide as we see how the situation unfolds. The Williams family has packed suitcases, ready to depart for Western Ukraine at a moment's notice. From there, in a case of a war, they can leave the country through Poland if direct routes to Britain are cut off. Most airlines were, as of Wednesday, still flying in and out of Ukraine, but some have moved planes abroad upon requests from their owners or insurers. Williams said he would be sorry to leave Ukraine, as it's where he's felt most at home. On a personal level, I love this country. I love the people here. Um, we were very, very happy here. Um, and, you know, if, if Russians go back to base, we carry on being very happy here. Pressure mounting on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for using divisive language regarding the protests. Yesterday, he replied to a Jewish member of Parliament accusing her Conservative Party of, quote, standing with people who wave swastikas. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on this MP's response. Conservative Canadian Parliament member Melissa Lansman told Fox's The Ingram Angle Wednesday she thinks Canada is becoming more divided, and she blamed Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's rhetoric. If he wants to end this today, uh, he could have done that 19 days ago before uh, putting forward a national emergency that is not justified. Uh, he could have gone out and, uh, and, and talked to people rather than calling them racist and misogynist, and we could have put an end to this. Lansman said Canada has one of the highest vaccination rates, but also some of the most draconian measures. As a Conservative Party transport critic, she said she's been calling to end the mandates, especially the cross-border trucking mandate. And she's not the only one concerned about its impact. On Wednesday, 16 Republican governors and two Canadian premiers urged President Biden and Justin Trudeau to reinstate COVID-19 vaccine exemptions for cross-border truckers. In a letter, the governors and premiers said, quote, the timing of your decision to terminate the vaccine and quarantine exemptions could not have been worse, as North America already faces grave supply chain constraints. We reached out to the White House and Trudeau's office for comments, but haven't heard back. In January, Canada and the United States announced that cross-border truckers would have to start showing proof of vaccination. Shortly after, Canadian truckers started the Freedom Convoy protest, which is still going on in Ottawa. And now, California truckers are gearing up for their own convoy to Washington, D.C., called the People's Convoy. They're calling for the Emergency Powers Act to be lifted to end the mandates. Organizers say they plan to start on February 23rd, earlier than planned, and they're calling on the American people to join in. One of the organizers told Steve Bannon's War Room Wednesday they plan to post a map of the convoy's expected route on their website. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The U.S. Senate is expecting to hold a procedural vote on a stopgap funding bill today. That's according to Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The spending bill would keep the government funded, running through 
March 11th, which will avoid a potential partial shutdown. The bill has already been approved by the House of Representatives. It would avert government agency shutdowns as existing money is set to expire at midnight on Friday. It's not clear if the final vote on passage will take place today. Ten state legislatures are considering over 40 bills. Those bills propose tougher voting identification requirements for in-person voting or registration. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, or NCSL, Missouri and Virginia are considering 24 of the 40 bills. In Missouri, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft is leading the charge. He requested a bill that requires voters to show a state or federal photo ID when voting in person. Now, Missouri lawmakers are considering 13 voter ID bills as part of Ashcroft's initiative. In Virginia, lawmakers are considering 11 bills. It comes in response to the passage of the Voting Rights Act of Virginia. That was passed in 2021 and before Republicans took control of the House of Delegates and the governor's office. According to Jason Sneed, who is the executive director of the group Honest Elections Project, the Democrats' Voting Rights Act of Virginia effectively eliminated ID requirements. He said the requirement is still law, but it's not being enforced. He said now the effort being made in Virginia is to just enforce the state's photo ID law. But it's not just these 10 states. There's a broader national trend changing the way elections are carried out. That's because of the 45 state legislatures in session, 40 of them are debating bills related to elections. That's according to NCSL. And five states are considering at least 18 bills that would impose new ID requirements for mail-in ballots. That's according to the Brennan Center for Justice in New York University. Those rules would require either a social security number, a voter record number, or a driver's license number. Proposals in Mississippi and South Carolina would require mail-in ballots to be submitted earlier. And Illinois, New Jersey, and Maryland are considering making it necessary to show an ID when voting in person. The race for the GOP candidate in Ohio's Senate race has turned crowded and extremely competitive. Most of the candidates are vying for an endorsement from former President Trump. The primary is two and a half months away, but Republicans have already spent $16 million on ads. The Senate candidates are wealthy and have the backing of political action committees with abundant funds. They're hoping to fill the seat that will soon be vacated by current Senator Rob Portman. He announced last year he wouldn't run for re-election. The Ohio Senate race is the second most expensive GOP election battle behind Pennsylvania. Democrats will have a tough time winning the Senate seat. Ohio was once a battleground state, but the state helped elect Donald Trump in 2016, and in 2020, Trump gained the majority of the state's votes. Florida's House of Representatives passed a new bill banning abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Several Republican-led states are pushing for similar measures as the Supreme Court weighs the constitutionality of a Mississippi abortion law. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. The bill's approval came on a 78-39 party line vote, taking place just after midnight Thursday. Next, it's headed to the upper chamber, the state Senate, which is also expected to pass the measure. And it strikes at the core of everything that is wrong with our communities and our country today because we have devalued human life to such an extent that we should not be surprised about the outcomes that we see and the failures that we face every day in our communities. Republican Representative Dana Trabolzi is an advocate for the bill. She shared her own story about having an abortion. Now I've had to reconcile um, 
my actions and what I've done. And part of that reconciliation is, you know, standing before all of you tonight and sharing all my shame. A shame I'm sure a lot of women share. A lot of mental anguish. Democrat Travaris McCurdy responded and criticized his Republican colleagues. Florida, the restraint state, becoming more like Mississippi. That's laughable. When's the last time you've heard of any state wanting to be more like Mississippi? <laughs> we picked the worst state on this issue, ranked 50th on health care. Republican lawmakers around the country have introduced related bills, mirroring a 15-week abortion ban enacted by Mississippi in 2018. Arizona's Senate and West Virginia's House passed similar 15-week abortion bans on Tuesday. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Dozens of Army National Guard and Air Force troops in New Mexico have been stepping in as substitute teachers. That says a shortage of teachers and school staff tests the ability of schools nationwide to continue in-person learning. On his current mission, Army National Guard Specialist Michael Stockwell helps students with assignments as a substitute science teacher at Alamo Gordo High School. You can't act Army with these kids. You can't speak the same way you would with another soldier with these kids. You can't treat them the same way. You have to be careful with corrective actions. <laughs> For the students, the new substitutes have been a big change, but many say they appreciate being able to continue learning in person. When they do COVID tests here, like usually the teachers have to quarantine. So then we go to like empty classroom and like we have to do everything online. And usually like with online stuff, like I don't really have motivation because like a lot of times I don't know what I'm doing, but like it's just different with the teacher. In Alamo Gordo, the teacher shortage peaked on January 13th. That's when 30 teachers were out due to illness, professional training, or family emergencies. Lieutenant Amanda Zalo works in the 911 dispatch center in Albuquerque when she's not training or serving with the guard. She kept students on task during a lesson about cybersecurity. I think at one point, including teachers absent for testing, professional leave, and illness. We had up to 30 out several days, and that's, that's a third of our, our staff, our teaching staff. That's incredibly difficult to do anything with. The principal said Zolo's services meant that for the first time that week, she didn't have to take over a classroom herself. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is suing the Biden administration for requiring masks on public transit and at transportation hubs. He filed the lawsuit on Wednesday against the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services. Paxton says the mandate is illegal and not authorized by Congress. The Biden administration initiated the mask mandate in February 2021. It's set to expire on March 18th, but the CDC has extended it several times before. The mandate requires everyone older than two years old to wear a mask on airplanes, ships, trains, subways, buses, taxis, and rideshares. It's also mandatory at transportation hubs, such as airports, bus terminals, train stations, and seaports. CDC Director Wachelle Walensky says the agency is considering new COVID-19 guidance, including wearing face masks. A decision could come out later this month or in early March. What is the relationship between the pandemic, billionaires, lockdowns, the vaccine, and the middle class? 
I wanted to explore this topic, so I spoke with Dr. Peter Bregan, who is a psychiatrist and an author. He explains some of the claims he makes in his book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. And what we look at is how the governments of the world have been really implementing a destruction of democracy, that COVID-19 in many ways can be explained as an effort really to level the democratic nations. If you look at all of the lockdowns, you look at the uh, push to make sure that every single person caves in and gets the shots, even babies. If you look at the way of controlling small businesses and shutting them down and shutting the churches down, letting the great big box stores stay open, um, the great sports franchises have crowds of 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000, but uh, you can't get together and pray in a church or open your small business as easily. If you look at what's behind this, there's a huge shift of wealth going on from the middle class, even the upper class, to people who are really very high up in the, in the global governance. And you mentioned global predators are exploiting humanity. Can you explain who these global predators are? Well, it's a gigantic shift of wealth. Um, if you look at Klaus Schwab's organization and Bill Gates, they're working with all the pharmaceutical industry. They're working with the big banks to finance the pharmaceutical industry. They're working with the UN and the World Health Organization, which of course wants you know to be in charge of the world. But what has happened is uh, you know we now have everything going international, wealth shifting out of the United States, going to the rest of the world, labor shifting out of the United States, going to the rest of the world, and uh, COVID-19 is really a part of that process where wealth is being accumulated at the expense of the peoples of the world. How is the modern psychiatry industry related to the pandemic? Um, psychiatry historically has developed the idea that you can lock up and treat people against their will for their own good. And it goes back several hundred years with that principle. So my colleagues have really been on the cutting edge of doing good to people against their will. And furthermore, they're on the cutting edge of using drugs to control people and even using brain surgery to control people, something I organized against in the early 70s and, and really stopped. So a lot of this is the precursor of today where we're going to control people for their own good, for their own health, and we're going to use drugs as a massive method of control. And now we're using vaccines as kind of the spearhead of dominating people. Going back to Dr. Bregan's note on the transfer of wealth during the pandemic, the world's 10 richest men doubled their incomes over the last two years. That comes as the incomes of 99% of people dropped in the same time period. That's according to a study by the group Oxfam. California ends mask mandates and joins several states that recently did the same. Residents say they were tired of having to wear them. Store owners say mask wearing is now a choice for each customer to make. You know, some people want that protection, so it's their choice if they come in and they want to wear the mask now. But uh, some people don't want to, they're just tired of it all, and they're ready to come in and just do shopping. Well, in my line of work, we still have to wear them. Um, it's the company policy, but yes, for the, for the most part, we'll, I will take it off and, and leave it off. I'm ready to be done with it. It's about time. 
<laughs> yep, uh, I'm ready to get rid of them. Bakersfield, California residents and business owners seem relieved over the mandate end. They say they want to feel like things are back to normal. Some aren't confident the mandate will remain in place. They think it could be reimposed if CCP virus cases start to rise again. A store owner in Bakersfield is keeping his sign advising customers to wear masks in place. He says the masking requirement has changed so many times already. One person is dead and another seriously injured after colliding with a Brightline train. These were in separate accidents that occurred less than 12 hours apart. This marks the latest in a spate of collisions plaguing the higher speed passenger trains since the railroad recently resumed operations. Tuesday night's death was the ninth involving Florida's privately owned passenger railroad since it resumed operations in November after an 18 month pandemic shutdown. It's the 57th since Brightline began test runs in 2017, giving it the worst per mile fatality rate in the nation. That's according to an ongoing Associated Press analysis that began in 2019. Investigators found none of the deaths were the railroad's fault and determined that many were suicides or drivers or pedestrians trying to beat the trains. Brightline released video taken from a camera inside the nose cone of a train that collided with a car on Wednesday. That accident left the driver hospitalized with serious injuries, according to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. The video shows that the crossing barriers were down and the red lights were flashing, but the driver turned from a side street and seemed to purposely go around the gate and into the train's path. The crash split the car in two, according to the railroad. A driver was killed in a similar accident on Sunday. The Colorado State Patrol released dramatic dash cam video Wednesday to make a key point about highway safety. In this case, you can see a motorist pulling over to the far left, stopping close to a concrete median. Another driver didn't see the stopped car, and the dramatic crash was caught on the officer's dash camera. Colorado State Patrol says there were no serious injuries, and they released the footage to remind motorists that when they're asked to pull over, pay attention and follow directions. Still to come, a shooting coach sets three-point record. He's known as Lethal Shooter, and he's just hit 23 out of 25 three-pointers in 66 seconds. It's enough to best anyone in the NBA. An international hockey official hopes to see the return of NHL players at the next Olympics. He says it will be a big problem if they continue to miss out. All that and more after this short break. Tennis star Novak Djokovic visited the Serbia Pavilion at Expo 2020 in Dubai ahead of his return to action in the Emirate next week at the ATP 500 Dubai Tennis Championships. This will be the Serbs' first tournament appearance since he was deported from Australia. That was over his COVID-19 vaccination status ahead of the Australian Open. The 34-year-old who is unvaccinated was deported after an 11-day roller coaster. It involved two visa cancellations, two court challenges, and five nights and two stints at an immigration detention hotel where asylum seekers are held. Organizers of the Dubai Tennis Championships said last month the Serb was entered for the tournament. It's scheduled to start on February 21st. Djokovic signed the honor book as he visited the Serbia Pavilion at Expo 2020 for the presentation of the Novak Djokovic Foundation. 
A popular shooting coach breaks the record for most three-pointers around the arc in 66 seconds. He used a popular format during the three-point contest at the NBA All-Star Weekend. The shooting coach, known as Lethal Shooter, made 23 of his 25 three-point shots. The previous record was 21 of 25. That record was set by Lethal Shooter's mentor, Craig Hodges, in both 1986 and 1991. Lethal Shooter's real name is Chris Matthews. He was never picked up by the NBA, but he's been a strong high school, college, and overseas player. Now he's a shooting coach sought out by NBA players in the WNBA as well and other competitions and leagues. He's currently putting together a three-point shooting competition for Red Bull that will start this summer. Finnish freestyle skier John Salinen is caught on camera operating flying during his first run today, shaft pipe qualifying run, after misjudging one of his tricks. Salinen was halfway through his run when he lost control on the left lip of the pipe. He soared over the edge and clipped the camera to send the operator crashing in the snow. Salinen dropped back to the pipe to complete his run, but the judges were very unimpressed, giving him a score of 18 out of 100. The cameraman was soon back up on his feet again as qualifying continued. Members of Canada's victorious women's hockey team say they hope their win will help expand women's hockey back home. Canada beat the United States 3-2 to win the women's ice hockey final at the Beijing Olympics. They reclaimed the gold medal the Americans had taken from them four years ago in Pyeongchang. Obviously it was a four-year process. Uh, since that day, we truly put our head down and we went to work. We knew what we wanted to change. We knew what, what was needed to, to happen, and we really stick to it. I think the next step for our sport, uh, you know, as much as we're rivals on the ice, is, is coming together and, and having something that's going to continue to grow the game. The win capped an utterly dominant tournament for the Canadians, who did not lose a single game and recorded an 11-0 shutout over Sweden in their quarterfinal and a 10-3 win against Switzerland in the semifinal. Finland defeated Switzerland 4-0 the previous day to break, take bronze. The National Hockey League has set out the last two Winter Olympics, but the International Ice Hockey Federation president says he is optimistic they'll be back on the ice for the 2026 games. If NHL is not coming in 2026. So last time that was uh, Sochi in 2014. It will be a big problem, uh, I mean, for the participation of NHL. I, I, don't, I don't want to, to, to put pressure because uh, that's not the way to, to organize that. But quickly with NHL, we, I think uh, everybody were sorry to, uh, that uh, that was not possible to bring out the best player. The 2026 Games are set to take place in Italy. From 1998 until 2014, the NHL provided room in its schedule to allow players to participate in the Olympics. That ended in 2018 after the NHL and international sports bodies disagreed on a number of issues. Measures taken by the NHL after the spread of the CCP virus further delayed NHL players' return for this year's Winter Olympics. CNN runs an ad glorifying the Beijing Olympics. The ad was paid for by Chinese state media outlet Xinhua. The article follows CNN efforts last year to praise the Chinese regime. Xinhua holds the status of foreign agent for China under federal law. It is not simply considered a media company. 
The ad run by CNN glorifies the Chinese regime and its Olympics efforts and ignores all of the boycotts and controversies surrounding the Games. If a viewer clicks on links in the ad, they will get taken to Xinhua's main website and see slogan-like propaganda headlines. They'll get a taste of something common to mainland Chinese media consumers. The ad published by CNN mentions nothing of the diplomatic boycotts and the accusations of genocide. It also doesn't talk about the complaints of athletes in Beijing now. Many revolve around inhumane CCP virus restrictions and biased officiating. Coming up, visitors and gondoliers enjoy a tasty pastry at the Venice Carnival. One of the local specialties was created by accident in the 1980s, but now it's gaining popularity among carnival goers. Find out more here on NTD News. CCTV footage captured images of a boy distracted by his phone, falling into a storage hole, and being saved by a pile of boxes. Footage captured on Monday shows the boy walking inside a mall in central Istanbul with his mobile phone. Meanwhile, another worker dropped packages into the storage hole. The boy, who was texting while he walked along the corridor, slipped down the hole as the worker, who left the lid open, panicked. CCTV footage from the storage showed the boy miraculously falling into the boxes and being saved without a scratch. The Venice Carnival is going on right now. Other than masks and costumes, there is also a tasty pastry. One of the specialties is a fried sugary pastry known as mammaluki. Both gondoliers and visitors are enjoying it. Let's take a look. The original bakery in Venice where you can have an authentic mammaluki is Pastracheria Bar Targa. Marzo Rosetto and his family have been offering their customers this quirky pastry for 30 years. The name reminds me of my childhood. The pastry reminds me of tradition. In Italian, the term mamaluki means a silly person. In the late 1980s, Sergio Lado, one of the most talented pastry chefs in Venice, created mamaluki by accident. He was trying to make an Egyptian cake and messed up the ingredients, but he didn't want to throw it away. So he tried to make the new dough by mixing it with custard and adding in the orange peel while the raisins were already inside because they were part of the Egyptian dessert instead of baking them in the oven, which did not bring a good result. He tried to fry them, and from that, the mamaluki was born. The pastry chef said to himself, what a silly person, when he realized his mistake, and then named the pastry after it. Mamaluki has cylindrical shape and is crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside. The preparation is very long and they should cost four times more for the work they require. They're special because it's a special custard that's baked twice and there's a lot of handwork involved. The bakery can sell 1,000 or so mamaluki in one carnival weekend. The pastry chef says he doesn't know the secret to its popularity. I don't think there's a determining factor for the success of this dessert, but it is the public that says it is very good. Mamaluki is slowly gaining ground during the carnival. More and more tourists know about it. It's delicious. It's still warm and it's sweet with the sugar and the raisins. It's a little bit crunchy on the outside. Really yummy. <laughs> the bakery is just a short walk from the famous Rialto Bridge. It's very accessible for gondoliers who start their morning there with Mamaluki and coffee. Alaska Airlines is launching two subscription services for flyers looking to save money, which is probably all of them. 
Wednesday, it announced its Flight Pass and Flight Pass Pro programs. The plans give travelers up to 24 round-trip flights a year at a fixed rate monthly. The pass can be used to fly between 16 West Coast cities, including popular spots in California, as well as flights from California to Reno, Las Vegas, and Phoenix. Alaska Airlines says the budget-friendly Flight Pass plan starts at $49 per month, while the Flight Pass Pro version will start at $199 a month. The head of the Federal Aviation Administration is resigning. Steve Dixon announced Wednesday that he is stepping down March 31st. He's been in the role since August 2019 after being nominated by former President Donald Trump. Dixon says he's leaving to spend more time with his family. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg thanked him for his service. The FAA says it will work with the White House to find Dixon's replacement. Japan's Prime Minister said today the country will ease border controls imposed to counter the pandemic. They're softening measures that have been among the strictest imposed by wealthy nations and which have been slammed by businesses and educators. About 150,000 foreign students have been kept out of Japan, along with workers desperately needed, as it's an aging nation with a shrinking population. It's prompting warnings of labor shortages and damage to Japan's international reputation. From March, authorities will increase the number of people allowed to enter to 5,000 a day from 3,500 now. The change will not apply to tourists, though, who effectively remain shut out of the country. And the period of mandatory quarantine will be reduced to three days in some conditions in seven days' time, adding that in some cases there would be no requirement to quarantine. The change comes as the number of virus infections have shown signs of declining, meaning Japan needed to start preparing for a new phase. Still, semi-emergency measures in place for some 17 regions will remain until March 6th. Up next, a new exhibition on Dante's Divine Comedy coincides with the 700-year anniversary of the poet's death last year. The exhibit opened over the weekend in Berlin. Stay tuned to find out more. A new exhibition on Dante's Divine Comedy opened in Berlin this weekend. The installation was planned to coincide with the 700-year anniversary of the poet's death last year, but has faced delays due to the pandemic. Entity's Andrew Thomas reports. At the center of the exhibition is a modern interpretation of Dante's classical narrative poem, The Divine Comedy. German artist Andreas Siegmann is using figures from Inferno as imagined by the Italian artist Sandro Botticelli over 500 years ago, all of it set in a modern context. In these paintings, the figures watch over migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean, scenes of police violence and racism. The Divine Comedy has been relevant throughout all times. It is 700 years old, but because of the deep human view that Dante has, it stays relevant. These days we still have jealousy, pride, gluttony. These are themes that concern us even today. Dante Alighieri was born in 1265 in Florence. He completed the Divine Comedy in 1320, one year before his death. The exhibition is meant to add a contribution to the 700th anniversary of Dante's death that was celebrated last year. Because of corona, we are opening it now. But this exhibition is not just the classical works like Botticelli, although he is represented in the exhibition. 
but mainly this exhibition is showing new discoveries from the collection of classical modern works. The subject of Dante's poem and the interpretations of it might sound highbrow, but the exhibition isn't meant to be a crash course on the Divine Comedy. Rather, it's meant to give a taste of Dante's world and inspire people to learn more. There is a catalog with background information about the artists, but the exhibition is trying to be enjoyable. There are quotes and short texts. It is for people to get a first taste of this special feeling and special spirit. The exhibition, Hell's Black and Starlight, Dante's Divine Comedy in Modern and Contemporary Art, runs until May 8th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. New Zealand Rugby and the Players Union have struck an in-principle agreement to sell a minority stake in NZR's commercial business to U.S. private equity firm Silver Lake for about $133 million. New Zealand's All Blacks rugby team is one of the sport's most famous and successful names, so it may be little surprise that one U.S. private equity firm has seen financial opportunities in the brand. New Zealand Rugby announced on Thursday it had agreed a deal to sell a minority stake in its commercial business to Silver Lake for almost $134 million. It would see the company take a stake of up to 8.58% in a new entity called NZR Commercial Co. NZR CEO Mark Robinson. The agreement still needs to be ratified by a majority of New Zealand's 26 provincial rugby unions. They all stand to receive lower distributions of cash than with a previous proposal. That would have seen Silver Lake take a bigger stake, but was rejected by the players' union. NZR will also have less money to put into the game's development. However, the governing body said it would keep full control over rugby as well as commercial strategy. New Zealand's All Blacks are a global brand and commercial powerhouse, but they were not immune to the financial effects of the global health crisis. Now the new deal values NZ Rugby's commercial assets at more than $2.3 billion and guarantees the sports an immediate cash injection. Several beaches in Sydney's east were shut today after a swimmer was killed in a shark attack. It's the first such fatality in the city's beaches in nearly 60 years. Drum lines, which are used to bait sharks, have been set up near the attack site, while drones have been deployed as officials search if the shark is still in the area. The attack took place at Little Bay Beach, about 12 miles south of Australia's largest city and near the entrance to Botany Bay Wednesday afternoon. Police have not yet disclosed the identity of the swimmer. A spokesperson for New South Wales Primary Industries Department said its shark biologists believe that a white shark about three yards long was likely responsible for the attack. It was the first fatal shark attack in Sydney since 1963, data showed. Authorities have ordered people to remain out of the water on a hot summer day as temperatures hovered around 86 degrees Fahrenheit. An Israeli farmer has grown the world's heaviest strawberry, according to Guinness World Records. At 289 grams, the strawberry was about five times the average weight of a berry of this variety. That's according to Nerdai, a researcher and strawberry breeder at Israel's Volcani Institute, where the strain was developed. The strawberry was 18 centimeters long, 4 centimeters thick, and 34 centimeters in circumference, according to the record book's website. Cold weather conditions in early 2021 slowed the record-breaking strawberry's ripening process, allowing it to continue gaining weight. This kind of strawberry, called hillen, tends to grow large and temperature highly affects its growth. The fruit is heaviest in the winter and can weigh up to 60 grams. 
The giant strawberry was found a year ago and kept in a freezer until now, when the record was confirmed, Ariel said. The previous record was held by a Japanese farmer who discovered a strawberry weighing 250 grams in his harvest in 2015. Boosting your immune system is something we all should be thinking about. Let's get some easy tips to get you started. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Welcome to Strong Mind and Body, I'm Gina Marie. This simplistic approach to boosting your immune system naturally can be categorized into three sections, diet, stress management, and supplements. The first step to boosting your immune system is to address unhealthy eating habits. Let's start with diet. The goal is to eliminate or at least significantly limit foods that create inflammation in our bodies. These foods include foods with added sugar and most boxed, packaged or man-made foods. These foods saturate the supermarket shelves. Excess sugar consumption alone can result in a 50% reduction in overall immune activity. This can happen for up to 5 hours following consumption. So start reading labels. Sugar is added to so many foods, even those that sound healthy like juices. Excess alcohol intake can also burden the detoxification system and limit the immune process. Inadequate intake of proteins can also be problematic. This is because protein helps produce antibodies in the body for added defense. Lastly, a diet that is low in colorful foods, fruits, veggies, and whole grains will leave you low in zinc, selenium, vitamin C, and vitamin E. So make sure to eat from the rainbow. Next, let's look at stress management. Make a conscious effort to eliminate or cut back on internal and external stresses. Toxic stress can refer to constant busyness, emotional stress and anger to name a few. It is now recognized as one of the most significant destroyers of the immune system. High stress leads to elevated cortisol production which results in an immune suppressed state. This can lead to an increased susceptibility to infections and illness. And finally, let's look at supplements. The last step is to add supplements and herbal remedies to help support your immune function. Here are some of the most beneficial supplements to support your immune system. Vitamin C, mixed carotenoid complex, zinc, vitamin D3, golden seal, astragalus, echinacea, and flavonoids. Start now to get your body through the rest of winter and prepared for spring. Staying on top of your self-care can make all the difference in the way your body reacts. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.